Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Dr. Robert Cyprian, I'm so excited to be welcoming you onto the podcast. Um, just to introduce you to everyone who's listening, Dr. Robert is the author of Heal Profoundly, a graffiti thug's transformation to holistic doctor, an autobiography that tells the story of his spiritual journey from being a gang member to have a 20 plus year successful career in medicine. Now, up until his early 20s, Dr. Robert suffered from poor health allergies, asthma, bronchitis, digestive problems, and there were times he spent weeks in bed because of illness. And due to his poor health and destructive behavior, Dr. Robert seemed destined to achieve little in life until he decided to seek more out of it. He joined medical school to learn better ways to treat his medical problems and has been studying various healing, energetic and spiritual modalities for over 25 years. I mean, what a story, Robert. Um, I mean, as I just mentioned before we went on air, um, I know the trials and tribulations of, of going through um, the rigor of, of medical school. That's no mean feat. And you, like me, have gained an understanding about how the medical establishment views the body and views health. Um, and I'm super keen, first of all, to explore your personal journey, but then also to explore how you have learned to understand how the body works, perhaps beyond the model through which you were taught at medical school. So let's start by just, first of all, saying hello, welcome. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. From the work that you do is that you really have gone in to define what holistic health means. Can you, I mean, like holistic health for me, I mean, it really stems from this, from the word whole, you know, holistic health. And I love the way that you've broken this word down into some pillars. So can you sort of break down and explain to us what do you feel makes up the components of holistic health? Yeah, so I definitely have, through my experience, have seen there's you know, just a handful of categories of what really makes up our well-being. And something I want to say, too, about this whole aspect of holistic, being holistic means looking at everything available to some, somebody, looking at everything that's in their world and their universe that has an effect on them. So you got to be aware of everything. I kind of broke it down into four different aspects. Number one, there's the physical aspect of your well-being, such your joints and your muscles, and also how they operate, how you know well you walk, how long, how well you could sit down and get up from a chair, how well you could run, how your flexibility like, what's the health of the joints like, the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, the cartilage. So your whole physical aspect is one big part of health. And I've kind of, I've made this into a, a pyramid. So we're looking at the four bases of the pyramid right now. So the, 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 the physical aspect of the body is one. Next is the biochemical. And to really simplify biochemical, it's the chemical processes in your body. 
And they could be off balance by really simplifying it to different things. Either you have too little of something, which is a deficiency, like you're deficient in a vitamin or a mineral, or even maybe dehydration, or there's something your body needs where it can't function properly. Or there's too much of something, a toxicity, where there's too much of something built up where it's actually blocking, again, processes in the body that can't work right. And these processes might have to do with your blood or lymphatics or neurotransmitters or hormones or all the biochemical kind of functions that happen in the body. So biochemicals, the second side of the base of this pyramid. Third side is the mental and emotional aspect of health and well-being. If we have too much past emotional stress, I mean, all the way from just like, you know, things are rough in relationship at work, all the way to maybe PTSD where someone's been at war or something like that, that is going to be a big issue on just well-being and function in life. Just having these kind of memories that keep replaying and changing um, the way you feel. Now, also, that's kind of the emotional aspect. Um, well, it could be mental and emotional. So emotional, you have these feelings that keep coming up. Mental is how is your mind operating? Now, for someone PTSD, they get a trigger and they freak out, they can't function. But other people might have other triggers too that cause them to do things, maybe even not see or acknowledge things, or maybe just get into an anxiety attack, depression. So the mental emotional aspect is very, very big. And not many people do really good work with this. I think some people are just scared to dig into someone's emotional aspect of health. Me, I love it. I, I love like, all right, let's talk about your whole life. Let's talk about the worst times you've ever had. What's your biggest emotional problems? I love that piece. But the mental emotional, yeah, it's one of the sides that's least actually worked with. And I think it's actually one of the most important. Now, the fourth side's a little bit less tangible, even than the emotions and the mental. The fourth side is the energy and electromagnetics of the body, the energetics of the body. Now, this deals with a couple of different things. I mean, yeah, there's like, you know, right now I'm surrounded by my microphone and computer and all this other stuff and everything and you know tv next to me and my cell phone so these things impact us even you know we have radiations from satellites and you know your power cords outside or under the ground and everything these things have an impact on our well-being and health but also there's another part to energetics and that is like the energetics of your body your acupuncture meridians your chakras which are kind of um, more um, bigger energy centers in your body the aspects of your aura and also kind of more what's outside your aura we are literally in a multi-dimensional soup and many many most of us don't understand what else is going on in this energetic soup and all these different dimensions that's also affecting our well-being I mean, literally on lots of people with real chronic issues, I literally do things that you might consider exorcisms, just removing darker parasitic energies from people that might be plugged in in different areas of their body, where people can feel better almost immediately after getting that done. They feel a sense of relief because something's been sucking energy out of them for years and years and years. So we have these four sides of a pyramid of wellness. We have the structural, the biochemical, the mental, emotional, and the energetic. So those are the four bases of the pyramid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I'm very aware that, you know, it's quite unusual to, to hear um, a medical doctor speak of something like the energetics of 
our bodies and talking about um, bioenergetics and whatnot, it's so often... It's so often described as woo-woo, for lack of a better term. Um, and yet there are other paradigms within um, uh, and perspectives that consider the bioenergetics much more prominently. I've mentioned the Chinese system because that just seems to be a system that really does focus more on the bioenergetics and bioelectricity bio-elec- almost, biophysics rather than solely the biochemical. How do you, do you draw on Chinese traditional medicine in order to inform how you work with the energetic body? One of the uh, first things I do, whether I'm working with someone the first time or each session I work with them, I check the basic 12 acupuncture meridians to find out what the weakest one is, because that's usually the what's going on has the most problems in the body at that point. And it doesn't always line up with what their complaint is or what's going on, but I know this is the weakest point and there's some complexities in that going through the five elements and different flows in the body and everything. But I know if we get that weakest one, just boost it up. If I only do one thing that day is free that weakest meridian, that and a meridian is an energetic pathway to just free that energetic pathway to let energy flow again. I know no matter what, they will get better in some ways. And then, you know, we also make sure all the other details that they're complaining about, their complaints are fixed up too. But yeah, that to me is always one of the biggest things to look at. And of course, but when you describe um, freeing up or allowing energy to flow again, the way I've sort of started to understand that, as you said, it's like there's there are the meridians are sort of energetic pathways. I see them almost like electrical pathways. We know that, you know, we have electricity flowing through our body at all times, which instruct various biochemicals to be released. Um, one of those chemicals being for, you know, one group of chemicals being sort of, for example, neurotransmitters, one, one sort of group of biochemicals that are impacted are hormones as an example and we start to be able to understand how these four pillars or bases as you are calling them actually interact how would you describe the interaction of all of these pillars all right so let's go back to the acupuncture meridian or energy pathway being blocked That could happen just because there's deficiency in the energy. That could happen because there's some sort of stuff going on in the energetic realm of your well-being for some reason. You know, Um, you might need a joint freed up to actually get that energy flowing again. Now that would go and interact with the biomechanical side, with the physical side, because a joint being out of place could block the energy. Also, the different muscles in the body relate to the different acupuncture meridians. For example, the lung meridian, which is the first one that the energy comes into in the body, is related to several different shoulder muscles, serratus anterior and the deltoids and levator scapula. So there can be um, also muscle function that's deficient because of the acupuncture meridian being blocked or the acupuncture meridian could be blocked because there's injury in the muscle function or dysfunction in the muscle. So that's how it could work with the biomechanical side. Now with the chemistry, 
let's say, yeah, let's go back to lung. Let's say is the, the lung meridian is just not doing that well. Maybe there's a vitamin C deficiency because the lungs, they really need a lot of vitamin C. Sometimes they need bioflavonoids. So maybe there's something going on with the lungs with a deficiency that's causing that meridian to be off. Or maybe it's a toxicity. Maybe you're breathing in something that was toxic to your lungs and that's overloading them. They're trying to detox. And again, it's slowing down that lung energy from moving in your body. Okay, so it's examples with the biochemical relationship to what might be going on with a lung meridian. Now, mental, emotional with lung, oh, it's a big one. Emotions related to lung are grief and sadness. And um, these are just, you know, a, a lot of people can relate with these emotions. When you're being overwhelmed by some of these emotions for some reason, it could also make that energy flow of the lung energy, the meridian stagnant because it's overwhelmed with these energies. One of the easiest things to do with that is to feel the emotion as much as you can and process it because people don't want to feel emotions. And to me, I tell people the easiest thing you could do is just feel what's going on. Even if you got to sit for a few minutes and let yourself be uncomfortable and yeah, good. Let yourself be uncomfortable because in our modern society, it's like, no, don't do that. Positive thoughts, feel good. Think good. No, if, if our body's processing something that does not feel good, we should sit there and honor it and see what that's about and let that process instead of just shoving it in the back and ignoring it. It's like a smoke detector in your house is going off. You want to ignore it and go back to sleep or you want to see why is my smoke detector going off? I need to look at that. And then, of course, we have the spiritual. So aspects of that could also affect meridians. Maybe it's the energy center around the throat, which is the fifth chakra. Some people call it. This relates to your thyroid and also the lungs. And this is where you communicate. This is where your expression comes from. This is where you take creativity from your mind, your brain out into the world. So if you're being stifled somehow, you can't communicate or people aren't hearing you properly, or you're holding back something you want to say, you're holding back your creativity, that could shut down the fifth chakra, which is around the throat neck area. And that could stifle the lung meridian. And also you could have an energetic parasitic energy plugged into that fifth chakra too, that's causing you grief and sadness to feed off your energy or just sucking energy from you in general. So these are kind of four aspects of how you would put together in a holistic fashion. If something was going out the lung meridian, I need to get it going again. I would look to all those aspects and, you know, even more complexities and things like that. You know, when I sit down with someone, I, I kind of, I want to go through their life. I want to go through their health. I want to go through their relationships. I want to know what their parents were like, what life was like as a child. I want to know what they're eating. I want to know if they're active, if they're exercising. I want to know if they're having, in, a, in a good relationship. I want to know if work is, if they're happy with work and if work is successful for them. So we got to look at all these things to really, like, I, I have to deep dive into someone's life when they really come to me to have their life changed. I, I got to I got to get real personal with them and I got to know about things they maybe don't even think about and probably do not think about themselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm like seeing patterns. Mm. I'm seeing red flags. Mm. Um, I'm asking other questions as things come up, see where that goes. And also um, I'm an intuitive. I've always been intuitive. So as they're talking to me about things that, like my pop in my head, like, Oh, mother, anger, liver, like it was just like, like, all right, we jot that down as they're talking, you know, like, so things will come to me as they're talking to me. Sometimes they will say things or they'll, I see a facial expression. They might say, as I'm 
shaking my head no for people who can't see. They might go, oh, yeah, everything's great right now. And I'm like, why would they shake their head no as they say everything's great right now? All right, there's a conflict there emotionally, you know? So there's all sorts of things to look at. To me, every aspect of a person's telling you something. And they're all valuable. And even, you know, of course, even blood work and imaging and all these other diagnostic tests we got to do, that's all super important too. But you got to, like we talked about in the beginning, whole, the holistic, looking at the whole world of a person, you know, to figure out why are they having a problem and can't fix it? Maybe they've been to five, six other practitioners, doctors are still having struggles, yeah, got to sit down and spend some time with them first before you even do work. I love this. I, um, I, I love this because it's funny. I was at a party on, 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 on Saturday night and I was, um, and as you might imagine, there were a few doctors at the party because it was a 40th birthday party. Many of us have been to university together um, and have now been practicing for, you know, 10, 15, nearly coming up to 20 years at this point. Um, which is terrifying to, to think of, actually. Um, and and it was really interesting. One of one of the one of the doctors there has a has a major uh, um, is actually suffering with 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 a terminal cancer diagnosis. And he was saying how difficult it was to actually speak to doctors about about his journey and about his diagnosis and about what that means for him and how he's coping um, because doctors are so used to keeping an emotional distance from their patients. And I found this, I found this slightly jarring when I heard it, because of course it's true in some ways, doctors do have to, by necessity, I suppose, like have some sort of distance from their patients, considering the number of patients that they are dealing with on a daily basis. I mean, I work in the ER, I see 10, 15 patients a day at least. Um, and so if I was going to get emotionally um, involved with all my patients, I can see how draining that would be on my own um, well-being. However, what really struck me at that point is there must be something lost um, in the emotional distance that a doctor between the doctor and the patient, because there's a lot going on in that relationship that we need to be at least aware of when um, entering into a consultation. Um, and I'm really hearing from the way that you work with your patients that actually you are really in that soup with, with, with the patient, you're really in tune with their emotional presentation and really reading a lot into it. And in doing so, gathering a lot of really important information. Yeah, I have, um, I'm very empathic, very intuitive. I had to learn how to separate, keep separate my energy from the person that I'm interacting with. And not only with work, but socially too. When I first started working on people, when I was in the clinic in school and I was in downtown Los Angeles, it was a busy clinic. I'd work on two people. My clothes would be soaked through with sweat. I'd be exhausted, frazzled. I, I couldn't function. I couldn't work with a lot of people. 
because I would get so into their energy, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be done. But uh, one of my teachers later on, she taught me that what you have to do is keep your own energy kind of flowing in your own like encapsulation and observe theirs, but don't get entangled in observe theirs and don't give them your energy to heal observe their energy healing them because if you walk away and pull your energy back well then they're not healed anymore so it was it, it's it's a whole nother training is training in the energetics of who you are as a person if you want to really dig deeper into things like this with people and for me yeah because i I'm, I'm also you know i'm, I'm like a um it's, it's a word that's thrown around so much nowadays because I do so much more than that, but it's like, I'm a coach with people. I really got to get into their lives and get intimate with them in ways to have them open up to me. And people do open up to me. You know, I mean, I have people come back to me for visits and ask them, all right, how have you been? And they'll just start crying before they give and talk. I'll go, good, feel it, feel it, feel it. Keep going, keep going, get this out. We're already starting. We didn't have to tell me what's going on. You're doing it on your own. <laughs> So yeah, but I had to learn to keep those energetic boundaries and differences between me and the person I work with. And that just really learns how to, you have to learn how to ground your own energy and not try to give people your energy or take on theirs. So that's, that's just the basics of it, but you really have to learn how to do that in an energetic way. And I think that that's really lacking in the current medical training. I mean, like, you know, of course, there's an awareness around bedside manner and how and the importance of how to communicate with a person. Um, and we're taught, um, you know, how to break bad news in an empathic way. Um, but I think what really um, strikes me is that it's quite a surface level training. And that is felt not only by the, per the the patient that you're communicating with, but also from ourselves. Um, I guess the way that we are currently trained is just how to communicate um, in an empathic way rather than really be empathic ourselves while maintaining our own energetic strength and position um, and role within the, the doctor-patient dynamic. And what I would love to see more of is doctors really being able to embody their role as a doctor more fully, understanding the energetic, the dynamics of the interaction between doctor and patient and how important um, our energy is in and how it impacts the other way beyond you know just the words that we speak and how we speak them because there's no doubt at least in my mind that that is going to be felt by our patients and it's been my experience that patients feel that and feel um so often emotionally distant from their doctors um because i guess the way that doctors have been trained is just on how to communicate um, rather than how to actually get your feet in the fire with that person and be with them in sometimes the, the, the most difficult parts of that person's life. Yeah, well, um, what I hear is one of the biggest reasons for malpractice lawsuits is that lack of compassion and communication. 
And that's why most patients would go and complain to a board or to a, doc, a doctor or something like that. It's because they're, the doctor's not listening to them what's going on with the patient. Now, another thing like, you know, in the ER and trauma, I mean, I really feel that trauma doctors are the most highly skilled doctors there are. I really feel that they are like the special forces on the front line in healthcare. And they're not going to do what I'm doing. They're not going to want to get into every aspect of person's life. If you know, their arms turn, get it off because they're having a major bleed and stuff like that. Yeah. You got to get in there and just work quick and do your best. But like what I do, this is more like helping a person when they're not in that, you know, I'm going to die in, in 30 seconds if someone doesn't fix me to help them with their lives from there. Now, after someone recovers from injury like that, I might be like, all right, so why would you attract that type of injury in your life in the first place, you know? But yeah, it's totally different. Depends what you're doing. But yeah, I think in general, you know, there's always the joke about, oh, surgeons have the worst personality dealing with patients, the worst bedside manner. And um, I think it's because, yeah, they have to separate themselves from, you know, cutting someone open and going into them and, you know, the pain that someone's going through, they have to separate themselves. I think maybe a way for other doctors, the first biggest thing they could do to really have more better bedside manner is to feel themselves what they're going through. Because I feel like a lot of doctors, they're closed off from their own feelings. And when you can get in touch more for your own feelings more, like the old adage, you, you know, if you can love yourself, you can love someone else better. If um, a lot of professionals can really just feel their own feelings and what's going on in their life more, they can connect with other people more. I really couldn't agree with you more. I've often been really interested in you know the group of people that go on to be doctors you know and uh, because of course you know doctors um from and this is a huge generalization of course so um but in general these people are fairly type a personalities they're high achievers they really seek approval through their achievement and in doing so have learned to cut themselves off from their own emotions in order to achieve, in order to focus and and to 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 get the grades and get through medical school, which is as we started off this conversation, and um, you know a, a, a trial by fire. It's a it's a really difficult process and. So often you cannot let your emotions get in the way because you wouldn't be able to complete that goal. And doctors in general are very goal oriented um, people. And in order to achieve their goals, they do have to ignore um what is going on and driving actually that need to achieve, um, which I think does place them at a disadvantage to relate to those who process their their emotions in a different way um, and who perhaps are just not able to transmute their um, trauma into a certificate, which is what so many doctors, I think, as I say, this is just a personal view and opinion, do, you know. Um, so it does make it then really quite challenging as a type A personality to then be faced with someone who... Um, is not able 
to move through life in that way. Um, and that, as I say, does, I think, impact the relationship and the degree of empathy that a doctor can hold when dealing with, with, with a patient. Yeah, and this just comes back to being able to relate with a very wide spectrum of people too. Because yeah, these doctors like, okay, I can get along with my lawyer friends, my investor friends, because maybe they're all the same type A, even though they're in different professions. Like it's all good because they have that same type of mentality. But maybe you throw into the the party there, um, like someone that grows herbs in their backyard and or someone that's like a yoga teacher. They might not be able to all relate as well. Or maybe the little old lady that grew up just in poverty and, you know, and she's just really not with what's kind of going on in society to her survival is the most important thing there is. You know, sometimes people can't relate with them. For me, it was such a gift growing up the way I did through adversities of being lower middle class in New York city and going through this gang stuff and graffiti and having my life threatened so many times and seeing other people being killed and injured and arrested and all this stuff to where I progressed to first of all, get into a professional program to become a doctor where, you know, pretty much 98% of the other people in my, in my class and school are way different from me. I didn't come from the background they did. And then where I was brought afterwards to be an international teacher, to um, being a, invited to um, lecture at these programs, all the way to being invited into Secret Service headquarters in Washington, D.C. to speak there for the Mental Health Awareness Month to do a lecture, me, just me by myself, lecturing in Secret Service headquarters in Washington, D.C. Like I sometimes I really just can't believe that that kid that used to ride around running on riding on walls and highways and trains, it got there. And to me, I just feel going through um, growth in life helps you to experience more, be able to connect with more people. Two years ago, I went to this retreat that I'm going to again in uh, next month here. This woman, Sasha Cobra. And her focus for nine days, there's a lot of focus and intuition and energy and everything, but her focus was on being in your presence with somebody, just being in your presence with somebody, whether it's sitting across from them or hugging them or being in an intimate relationship with them. It's just about having your presence and we saw that just having presence could heal. It could heal a person. It could heal a room. And we would, you know, the retreat was unbelievable, just kind of what we went through and felt. But the whole thing came down to just having, to finding your own presence and just being that. That's the most powerful thing. And presence wouldn't take anything away from the skill you need. It wouldn't take anything away from how you got to perform in a situation. It wouldn't take anything away from how quickly someone has to be taken care of. But if you come at it with this presence, I'll tell you something, not only are you going to give that person you're with an extra edge as you're getting them through this emergency situation, but you're going to be able to respond with better skills and awareness too. Yes. And there is something around, you know, it's, it's actually um, a, a term which is um, known as the gestalt um, within uh, 
you know, um, the medical uh, field, which is actually a doctor's intuition. There is a recognition that there is an intuition, that we have our own intuition. And especially as an emergency doctor, um, I, I think one of my biggest superpowers is my intuition because I'm having to employ it all the time. Is this person sick? Are they not sick? Is this person, you know, is it, has this person got something that I need to um, follow through quickly or can this wait? Like there's, a, there's an intuition and actually... It, we 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 use uh, there are actually scoring systems which actually employ the gestalt um which is an attempt to sort of actually quantify the importance of our medical um gestalt uh and i think that yeah i think i think actually that being formally taught um would would help us um help us help our patients in a in a in a in a in a more effective and probably more time effective way as well um and so although intuition um i think as i said needs to be really harnessed and appreciated it's not to take away from all the other elements that a doctor is able to analyze and interpret and shouldn't take away from the skills that they have in order to really um, risk assess, um, I guess, um, and diagnose um, the patient that we have in front of us. Yeah, the thing is, when you have the intuition, you could just apply it to all that that you've learned through your training. You have, you could apply it to all these little details that you know. So the intuition would never take away from who someone is as a doctor. It would only add to it. But yeah, people do need to be well-trained and know all these things, know the red flags. And also, yeah, look more holistically what else is available. You know? mm, 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 mm. I love that. I love that. I think that, I think that intuit, our intuition as doctors can be used alongside all the other pieces in the puzzle, which makes doctors such good detectives um, and sort of piece together what is going on for this person. Like what is the most important thing for this person? Now, just as we sort of um, come to a close from this conversation, um, can you tell us, you know, what type of patients do you most work with? I work with people who are just stuck somehow. They are stuck, whether that's with a health issue, um, some sort of pain, maybe mentally, emotionally, maybe also stuck just in life with like their career, their relationship. People who are stuck because for me, I'm just like a detective who's going to go through and figure out where do they need to help? What's going on? Because we know from the holistic aspect, you got to look at everything. So you know, over the years, I started off as just a chiropractor, but kind of got other degrees in holistic medicine and just keep learning, learning, learning over the 25 years I've been doing this to encompass into everything. So for me, it's just like someone who's just not been able to make a change in their life that they've been trying to do. And a lot of times I'm like a last resort for somebody. Well, thank you so much for um, your curiosity um, and following that curiosity and then sharing, um, sharing the pearls of wisdom that you've gathered along the way in order to help people really move from their stuckness. Cause that stuckness can be a really uncomfortable place to be so I really thank you for your work and service and I just want to reiterate that you are the author of um, a really fantastic book um, I'm just going to 
we'll edit this bit out but um well you t- you tell me the the so heal profoundly and so yeah this is a really wonderful story um, of of your own personal transformation and I think can be a real tra- um inspiration to so many others that find themselves in a in a similar situation yeah it's just it was a catharsis for me actually a healing period for me to just sit down for a couple of months and just write out timeline of my life story and uh whenever i tell people about it whether friends or professionals or patients people would just be like are you kidding me just about some of the stories i've been through so yeah i mean it's been a healing journey for me i wouldn't trade it for anything some of the stories are just really unbelievable and you know all the way into the supernatural and things like that and these things still happen in my life you know even years after this book is out i got so much more to put out there too yeah it's just it's 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 a wonderful journey and i just i love it like life is a good, is a great thing wonderful thank you so much for sharing um, a part of that with me and and i can't wait to share that with a wider audience thank you so much thank you very much thank you for listening body mind soul seekers if you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists learn more about what they do and how they can help you check out my new holistic healthcare platform the witchy women Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.